Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministries is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God has designed for you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. We started chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians last week. The chapter on tongues is probably one of the most controversial chapters in the Bible and certainly one of the most abused chapters in the Bible. And let me just say on the outset, as I said last week, I have no axe to grind. One of the most difficult things in studying chapter 14, particularly if you go into commentaries, and even a lot of the translations that we use, the Bible translations we use, is to try to get on, they want to get you on one side of the agenda or the other. They want you to join their camp or the other camp. Now, let me say from the very beginning that the issue in in Corinth was not tongues. The issue in Corinth was carnality that manifested itself in the abuse of the spiritual gifts. So tongues really wasn't the issue. But Paul spends an entire chapter correcting. And remember that Corinthians is a letter of correction, not a letter of doctrine. It's a letter of correction. And I want you to also understand that this is not Paul. This is the Spirit of God. And he is lovingly, like a shepherd, leads a sheep out of the thorns and out of the briar and pulls them out. He's lovingly pulling them away from distortion. What he's mainly interested in has a lot to do with tongues in and of themselves. It has more to do with the motive behind tongues. Why why they're using it the way they're using it. And that is flesh carnality. They're mixing the glory of flesh with the worship of God. That is a death blow to a fellowship. And Paul is taking his time and he is separating out the truth of tongues from the distortion. And that's what we see in chapter 14. Do not hear me say that I'm against tongues. I am not. Do not hear me say that I believe that tongues have ceased. I don't know that to be true. The Bible doesn't say. It says that they will cease. It doesn't clearly say when. A lot of theologians postulated that it ceased at the end of the apostolic era. There's all kinds of theories, but there's nothing with clarity. So I will not speak to what I cannot see with clarity, okay? Do hear me say that this is just about Jesus, not about tongues. Tongues are a spiritual gift along with the other gifts. In fact, Paul calls them a lesser gift. Why? They're the only gift that really ceases. They're, They're distinctively for this earth, and they are not as good. They're secondary to prophecy. We see that. We went through verses 1 through 5 last week. And as I said, I mentioned in last week's sermons, tongues were not new to the Corinthian. This was not some new phenomenon for them. 
Pagan religions had their own version of tongues, and that was an integral part of their worship. In worship, they would get themselves into an emotional frenzy until they would go into a state of what was referred to as ecstasy, which literally means, the word ecstasy means to go out of yourself, to go out of themselves. And it was in this state that they believed that they communicated with their God, little g, and they would speak in its static babble. And that was believed to be the language of the God that they were worshiping. It was incomprehensible. It was an extremely common practice in pagan worship. And remember that the Corinthian fellowship was made up predominantly of Gentiles who had come out of pagan ritualism. So this is not something that they were unfamiliar with. The Corinthian fellowship is very clear had become very carnal. That means they'd become man-centered, they'd become very fleshy, and that's why this is a letter of correction. As I said, there's very little doctrine in here. Now, I've been reminding you each week of the various carnal practices of this church, just to kind of get you on the roll, recognizing and remembering where these people were at, why Paul was writing this letter. And tonight's message is going to be continuing down that road. It's going to be instructive. But what I want you to hear in this is, number one, I want you to hear and see the Father's heart for these people. His desire for them to properly understand what it is to worship Him and to enter into truth. But I also want you to understand that what Father's expressing in chapter 14 is His Absolute passion for the unity and the edification of the body. That's us, the church. That's what's being affirmed over and over again. And you know something is wrong when a spiritual gift is being used to cause divisions and separations within the body of Christ. There's something amiss. There's a distortion somewhere. And that was what was going on. When a church becomes man-centered, you begin to see various carnal practices erupting. This fellowship was being destroyed by their determination to strike a compromise between living to the flesh and living to the spirit. When a church becomes man-centered in its approach to God and worship, you see divisions, factions, glory-seeking, and all manner of pandering to worldly living. And that's what was going on. In chapter 14, Paul deals with another manifestation of carnality, and that is, as I said, the distortion of the gift of tongues in order to appear spiritually superior. And as we said last week, there is no mention of tongues in the Old Testament. It was first seen in the book of Acts. Everybody's familiar with Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, where it was manifested as a gift of languages, plural languages that were understandable. There is one other place in the New Testament, and that is in 1 Corinthians. It's in chapter 12, chapter 13, and chapter 14. At Pentecost, it was an understood language, but in the Corinthian church, it was not 
and understandable language. It was an unknown tongue. In the second verse of chapter 14, Paul says, They speak in an unknown tongue. The Holy Spirit through the Corinthians is not introducing a new form of tongues. They use the exact same word, Greek word for tongues, in 1 Corinthians that they used in the second chapter of Acts. There is absolutely no change in what they're talking about. What has changed is the expression of tongues, the definition in the minds of the people of tongues. Tongues are not seen in the Gospels. I mentioned this last week. There's no mention of Jesus ever speaking in an unknown tongue, either in prayer or to the Father or to in teaching his disciples. There's no mention of Jesus using an unknown tongue in preaching or prophecy. And then in the listing of the gifts in Romans and in Ephesians, it is not listed. It's not found in any church except this one church in Corinth that Paul refers to as a carnal church filled with immature believers. That's the one place it's listed. Now, the Corinthians had corrupted this gift by mixing it with a common form of pagan worship, which was this ecstatic gibberish that pagans believed was communicating directly with their god, little g. Only... The God that they were talking to knew what was being said. It was not known by the speaker. It was not known by those who heard them speaking. It was basically a God speaking through a man to himself. And Paul said, they speak mysteries. In other words, I can't figure it out. Now, there were evidently some Corinthians who had the true gift of tongues because Paul says... of them in chapter 1, verse 7, that they were not lacking in any spiritual endowment. But the counterfeit was taking center stage in their corporate worship. And Paul makes it clear that the gifts were not given for the edification of one, but for the body. Not for the glory of the individual, but for the body of Christ. Now I want to go back, if you'll look in 1 Corinthians, I want to go back and look at 1 Corinthians Chapter 14, verse 2. Now, we probably all have different translations. I uh, typically read and study through the Amplified because they give, uh, in most cases, give all of the options from the original language as to the translation of the word. They expand the word. Okay? But I will tell you that I do not agree with the Amplified in the definition or translations that they have used for the Greek word. When I talk about these scriptures, understand that I am not married to a translation. I am coming from the original language. I'm coming from the Greek. What does the Greek actually say? And I am lining it up with the context of the chapter. Those are the two most important things that you do when you're translating the Word of God. Context and original language. Okay? If you don't do that, then you're going to bite off at some point or another on somebody's agenda to shape and mold the Word of God according to what they want it to say or the box they're trying to fit you in. 
As I said last week, that's the danger that so many Christians face living out of a devotional mentality. Christians nowadays are very undisciplined in their study of the Word, so they get most of their understanding from devotionals. Now that's dangerous because it's topical. I will say that topical preaching can be dangerous. Because when we preach topically, we are taking scripture that mentions what we want to say, and we're crafting it around the message. And that's dangerous. That is why we've chosen here to go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. And it's, it's not because we're better and they're lesser. I'm not trying to say that at all. It's just the best way for us to have a clear understanding of what God wants to communicate to us. It's also very good for the body of Christ who may or may not spend time in the Word during the week. So that is why we've chosen to do it this way. And let me also say... Don't take my word for it. I come up here by faith believing God to anoint my words and to speak the truth to your hearts. That's all I want to happen here. I pray consistently that the truth be written upon your hearts and everything else be forgotten because man will say stuff that doesn't need to be remembered. Right? You've been around them long enough, you figured that out. So we're interested in what God has to say about these things. So let's look at... Corinthians chapter 14, verse 2. And the reason I choose to repeat this verse is because this verse has been used more often to justify an illegitimate use of tongues. Let me read that verse in the Amplified, and it's probably the worst translation for this verse. But I'm going to read it to you anyway. For one who speaks in an unknown tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands or catches his meaning because in the Holy Spirit he utters secret truths and hidden things not obvious to the understanding. Now, remember, what is the purpose of the spiritual gifts? To edify the body, exactly, to build the body up, right? How's that possible if you don't know what anybody's saying? It is for the building of the church. Without an interpreter, no one understands, and the one who speaks only edifies himself. He draws attention to himself. This verse has, as I said last week, some interpretive challenges, okay? One being that it may also be interpreted, speaks to a God, little g. Yours may have a capitalization there. Speaks to a God, okay? The Greek text there has no definite article, so it is better translated in English to us as a God, little g. Just like in Acts 17.23 when they talk about the monument to the unknown God. No article, little g. Why is it important to note that? Because Paul is addressing a paganism that has infiltrated the church. And he is separating this out, okay? 
So if you read it, the scripture, when, when the Amplified puts a capital G there, you're thinking, oh, there must be some difference in the way I understand the way tongue works. No, there isn't. Little g, a God, okay? Also, you will notice that the Amplified put the word holy in there. It put it in there in brackets. You know why it's in brackets? It is not in the original text. It's inserted by the translators. It's not there. Why did they do that? Because they wanted the word spirit to be translated as Holy Spirit, but in fact it is a little s. How many of you have translations that have a capital S? Okay, that's not in the original language. All right? It is a little s, pneuma, which can be translated human spirit, not Holy Spirit. So now we understand how this thing begins to shift when we get our, when we get our language right. Here it is. I don't think Paul intends to spiritualize a tongue that no one, including the speaker, can understand. And if you read the verse any other way, that's what you walk away with. It's more akin to a static babbling, the speech of pagan worship. That's more like what he's talking about. Now, understanding what Paul is actually addressing is key to understanding the importance of this chapter. Paul is addressing a distortion, a fleshy attempt to mix the glory of flesh with the worship of God. Again, tongues is not the issue, carnality is the issue, and that's what we're talking about. They were seeking to spiritualize carnality, and we see it all the time. The enemy co-opting the work of God. That's what's going on. Now, today we're going to look at verses 6 through 19. So if you'll turn to verse 6, verse 6. It says, Now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in unknown tongues... How shall I make it to your advantage unless I speak to you either in revelation, disclosure of God's will to man, or in knowledge, or in prophecy, or in instruction? And Paul is saying, even if I, Paul, an apostle who has been given great revelation, endowed with spiritual wisdom, were to come to you speaking in a language you don't understand, how would it help you? How would it build you up? How would it bless you unless I speak to you the truth of God in a way that you can understand it? It is useless no matter who speaks it. Now, is that a hard concept to grasp? (laughs) Really? Now, Paul, at this point, Paul is going to begin in verse 7. He's going to begin to use some illustrations. Now, they're very fundamental, elementary illustrations. So you can begin to see that Paul is not building a mandate for tongues. He's saying, look, you guys, you guys didn't read the directions. <laughs> You've got it all wrong here. Okay, look at verse 7. If even an inanimate musical instrument, such as of the flute or the harp, do not give distinctive notes, how will anyone listening know or understand what is played? That's pretty simple, isn't it? Right? The flute and the harp. And the harp 
would include any stringed instrument, by the way. They were the most common instruments that were used back in that day. They were used for a variety of gatherings, for entertainment and for worship, funerals, uh, you know, you name it. It was They were there. So what Paul is referring to, and it's interesting to me if you look at that, Paul refers to them as inanimate objects, lifeless objects. And it says, even these objects must be played in such a way as to communicate a melody or beauty. Paul says, if they are not distinct notes, the Greek says, unless there is a difference or variation, it is meaningless noise. I didn't say that. He gave that illustration right here. It's just meaningless noise. Now, both my son Todd and my grandson Emrys like to play the piano. And for one player, the piano is an instrument of beauty that communicates an understanding of music. It is enjoyed by all who hear it. For the other, and I won't say which one, while the piano brings joy to the player and can be entertaining to watch, it is a great distracting noise to all those who hear it. Is that cleared up? 1 Corinthians 14.8 And if the war bugle gives an uncertain, indistinct call, who will prepare for battle? Now, before electronic communication, all they had was uh, horns and flags. But this is speaking to the horns. They used the trumpet or the bugle to organize the troops. So it was obviously important that the troops be able to distinguish what the trumpeter was trying to communicate. Otherwise, it was just noise. So, you know, they wouldn't have handed the trumpet over to the three-year-old and say, rally the troops. Because the troops wouldn't know whether they were retreating or, or advancing or what. It was important that there be a distinctive communication in the use of these signals. Now, again, do you think that was obvious enough? I think that was a pretty good illustration. Look at 14.9. Now he's going to bring it home. This is Paul landing the plane. Just so it is with you. If you, in an unknown tongue, speak words that are not intelligible, how will anyone understand what you're saying? For you will be talking into empty space. And that make it any plainer. If nobody understands it, it does not edify anybody. If even you don't understand it, it does not edify anybody. You will be talking into empty space. Now, if it doesn't communicate, it's just air or noise. In fact, it will cause more harm than good. It's just confusion and chaos. It must be understandable to be of value in order to communicate. Paul is using, again, some very elementary examples to restate what should be a very obvious point. Now look, here's the thing. I've noticed this. I've been in the church a long time. Even before I even knew I was in a church, I was in a church. But whenever flesh gets involved... There is always division, separation, distinction. All of these things begin to occur. If you want an argument to take place, 
to evolve from a discussion. You just let one of the two discussers enter into pride and the discussion is over and the argument has begun. Flesh always divides. And on this issue, flesh divides quite often. Because I got to be honest with you. There are people who have had spiritual experiences in the use of tongues, in the incorrect use of tongues. I'm not saying that they did not feel these things. I'm not saying that the Spirit of God didn't bless them. I am saying that that is not the biblical definition of tongues. Now, every one of us know that the emotions can be involved in a lot of things and not necessarily be legitimate. And unfortunately, this day and time, there are entire denominations and most denominations have more impact on the emotions than they do on the mind. Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. We would love to have you join us for worship. We meet on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 1307 Blanco Woods at the corner of Blanco Road and Blanco Woods just inside Loop 1604. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, you can send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006.